Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast with your hosts, Sean and Leah Baker. We're here today with Sandy McKay. He's a mega agent, operating principal of Keller Williams Legacies, uh, podcast host of Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, uh, owner of multiple companies, including Freedom Reps, and my personal favorite, Crown by Me, uh, king of leverage and thinking outside of the box. Sandy, thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Happy to be here and excited. Awesome. Uh, it, would you be able to take us back to the uh, beginning, I know that you had a unique journey uh, starting out in real estate investing and investing in general. Uh, can you take us back to the beginning and share some of that? Definitely. Uh, I think everyone's got a unique journey typically, right? So uh, mine's probably no more unique than most, but it's probably unique. Uh, anyways, it's, um, I started out, uh, my wife and I met uh, in 2011, I believe, and we uh, were working at a, a job together. Uh, and we uh, read Rich Dad Poor Dad around the same time, and um, like the same week, there was a Rich Dad Poor Dad seminar coming to town, and we're like, "Oh, let's go check that out. It seems cool." That book totally changed my mindset around investing in business and just generally business mindset um, and how to make money in this world. And um, and so I thought it was really cool. And so when that was coming to town, we were like, "Yo, let's go check it out." It was a free event, and then that parlayed into the weekend. $100, $150 course, which parlayed, didn't parlay for us, but it parlayed into some for the $50,000 or $20,000 like full on coaching programs. But I learned so many cool things about how you could do real estate deals without any money and all the, the different ways you could do it where it was possible to do it without money and having like millions of dollars sitting around in the back. And uh, so I really, I think one of the major things that first kind of experience taught me was that you can you don't need stuff. You don't need to be coming from anything to order to make some things happen. You can start from literally zero and like, that's how most people start actually. And they create out of nothing, which is a really um, more abundant type of mindset and abundant way to, to think about situations you get in because I even today or like in this stage when I have issues that come up, you're like, you can think back on that. I go, well, started buying real estate with no money. I can certainly get through this thing without having everything I need to get through it. Um, so we started with that, we started doing some wholesaling real estate, uh, wholesaling of real estate. So we'd go find distressed sellers, people that needed to get out of their property for some reason. And we would just basically offer them some sort of an arrangement. Like, Hey, we'll give you, you know, this price point and we can close it in a week or two weeks or, you know, whatever was enough of an incentive to get them out of the situation they're in. And, you know, most of those people, when you promote offer them some proposal like that in a nice, hot Canadian real estate market, they go, why would I do that? I'm just going to sell it with my buddy who's an agent or something. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but if they don't want to do that, and the one out of, you know, a hundred or more of the, those that believe they come in, um, they need out like next week or next, you know, for whatever reason. And they're avoiding some sort of big pain that's going to come if they don't get out. And so we were, um, we started building out two different lists of databases, which at the time, you know, I, I didn't really put as much value in those as I do now, but we were building out like a, a seller list and an investor list. The investor list has become really valuable. Um, but we started just promoting online and we do like, uh, we go to the seminars and stuff like that and tell people they should get on our investor list. So we come across these odd, the odd deals that are really hot and um, under market, under value. And so we'd look for those deals and we'd, we'd had no money to buy the deal, but we'd partner up. We'd partner that person with the investor who wanted that type of deal 
couldn't find it on, on their own. And we say, you know, we bought it at 200 grand. You can take it for 220. We take the 20 or it could be five or it could be 200. doesn't really matter. Um, at the time I thought, you know, make five grand. That was like incredible. And I realized now that actually people do the same thing with like multi-million dollar deals, which I had no thought that that was ever a reality. Um, but pretty cool that that's, you, people do those types of deals all the time where they have the deal under, under contract and they flip it before it even closes and they make however much money you want on it. And uh, we did a bunch of those deals, five grand here, seven grand here, that sort of thing. And then we did one deal that was 25 grand. Um, and we did that deal that parlayed into our first duplex that we bought. We bought it with 5% down, 20, it was about 25 grand. It was almost exactly the number we needed. And uh, my wife had a job at the time, for like a normal job um, with the builder. So we kind of in the real estate niche. And uh, I, had a, I would just switch to another job, which is the propertyguys.com, which is like a private real estate company. So I was kind of in the real estate world, but not making consistent income. So I didn't really qualify. She did. I think she's making 40 grand as an income. Um, so we bought a $267,000 duplex. And I don't know, probably wouldn't even qualify for that these days, but 5% down, 267000 Spent about another 10 on uh, my own work and like watching YouTube, trying to figure out how to lay flooring and hang doors, which I, hang doors was, that was the end for me. I was like, I'm never doing this scrap again. Uh, too much math and stuff involved in making that line up uh, properly. But we did, uh, did that deal, spent, uh, like I said, 10 grand or so on credit cards or line up credit with Home Depot and that sort of thing. Mostly did the work ourselves. And then like we moved, we were in the process. We were also moving into Hamilton, uh, or at least starting to that, that pro process. So we we're looking at doing um, uh, our real estate licenses and things like that. And, uh, well, we did that deal and I learned so much from that because I realized, well, I learned in those, in that one wholesale deal and that duplex deal were like two really, maybe almost defining moments where I really learned so much that wholesale deal, because that those people that bought the deal from us and that eventually flipped it and made about 200 grand came back to ask for after they're like, Hey, that was a really nice deal. You have more than that. And we're like, well, we'll try to find more. And I said, but just so you know, like you guys, you guys could just like partner with us and we could do 50, 50 or something. And I was like 50, 50. So we would have made a hundred grand on that deal. <laughs> well, that's stupid. Why the hell would we make, why are we trying to go for such a short, quick amount of money when we could even just partner with these guys or, or do something more long-term, there's more money is what I realized. And, um, so I learned a lot of that and learned a lot of that duplex because I learned that I never wanted to do any renovations again because it wasn't, it wasn't my sweet spot. Um, and I could only watch YouTube for so long. I learned so much there before I realized, like, it just was taking me too long. But I ended up selling that place for uh, 410 grand because we were buying a house in Hamilton. But it's like a year and a half later. And it's like, so I made like 150 grand on that. Partially lucky timing, partially my great handyman work. Um, and we, yeah, we bought our our personal house, first personal house, uh, in Hamilton out of that. And we also, uh, during that period, we bought another place in Barrie. We started JVing. So we started, I started, I took that when that guy said, you could have made, we could have just partnered on this. I said, yeah, no, I should just do more of those. And let's, let's try to find people where I can find the deal and they can see that it's such a good deal that they'll just partner with us. I said, that makes a lot of sense. I can actually, that's a lot of value to add because people want this and they guess they can't find it on their own. And I can make a lot more money in the process. So we did that in Barrie. We started doing that in Hamilton. And I started JVing with people who, it took a while to find the right people to do that with. Because, um, you know, most of the people that we do that with now are not active in real estate. They're just 
pretty passive. Um, but they have qualifications, they have money, and they just don't know what to do with it, or, or they want something better than what they're getting elsewhere. So we started doing a lot of that, and that's how we built up most of our portfolio over like the last 10 years, is just focused on that and partnering with people. And um, started buying up a ton of places in Hamilton. And um, got the real estate license, built up that, got more involved in real estate in different ways, and started just all the, kind of along the way, we've looked at all the different services we've utilized, and kind of always questioning if it makes sense to um, like pay a third party for that, or maybe we should look at bringing that in house, which we've tried and failed a lot and also tried and succeeded in some of them. So I've learned a lot about where, like I, in some cases you can look at almost every service and say, well, I should just bring that in house and vertical integration sort of thing. And then we've also learned that that doesn't, that's not always the best way to do it. Cause if you don't have the right person or you're, you you yourself, if you're the person running it and you're not really passionate about that, it's not going to work long-term. Uh, that was going to be, uh, my next question is that what, uh, what made you think of starting subsidiary businesses because of the, was it the demand that you, uh, or how much you were utilizing those, uh, companies at that point? Usually. Yeah. Usually something like that. Uh, like property management is one that has worked out well for us because my wife, God bless her, loves, loves that industry. It's a, to me, a really hard industry. It wouldn't be me. Like I would not succeed in that industry. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. It's a lot of negativity that comes at you all day long. Um, there's not that many people that are like, wow, what a great property manager I have. It's just, they're so like, they're usually like, yeah, they do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all it's as, that's as good as you can get. I, I like to get a little more praise out of, out of doing a good job. Um, but yeah, so she's done well that we needed it cause we had no, I mean, we could have always hired another property manage management company. We just didn't see that there was all that much value in the ones that were out there. Um, not that there was no value, but they weren't like thinking big enough or, or forward thinking enough. It was very mom and pop style. And we wanted to, you know, be with people that could think a little differently and they'll, they'll actually add more value, uh, and not just be like complacent. And so partially why we started that. And then we've started other ones that have totally failed. Um, mainly because either we didn't have enough business to give it at the start to like jumpstart it or we didn't, we weren't the right, we weren't the right people or the people we were working with on the business were not the right people, mostly because they weren't excited enough about it, but also because maybe they weren't experienced enough or they just didn't have the business savviness or actually mostly because they weren't the same with realtors that aren't very successful as they don't realize that there's a lot of work in lead generating for business. They like the business, but they don't like the lead generation part of the business. Yeah. Which is like 50% of every business is just getting the, yeah. Which is the fun part is like doing whatever, like a lot of people like the business cause they like the doing the act of the business, the service or, or whatever the value is there, but the getting it part, it's always part of it. And it's not exactly what people want to do. Yeah. That most people think of, uh, I'm going to open up shop and everybody's going to come to me. Right. It's yeah. the same thing when you get your real estate license, everybody's going to yeah. come to me and, and, and use, right. But, uh, Maybe the best lawyer or something or, or engineer or doctor or something, unless if you're on your own and you're not working for someone else and that, if you're your own doctor and you're like your own practice or some version of that, half the battle is just getting people there. Right. And so you might love helping people in the, with their health or, or legal stuff or whatever, but you got to get people there to even do that. People forget that. Awesome. Uh, and, and, um, for your uh, portfolio and your focus as far as uh, what you've been investing in real estate wise 
um, what has been the major focus that you guys have uh, gone on has been um, multi-unit, uh, single family, duplexes, what, have, what has it been? So we started out, we bought a, our very first one was a duplex and then we bought single family because it was the, probably the best deal we've ever got still, or actually one of the top three best deals we've ever purchased. It was in Barrie, which we weren't even looking at being in Barrie, but just deal, this deal came up and it was like, I think we bought it for 150 grand, 151 or something around there. Uh, single family home, semi-detached. This is almost 10 years ago, but even 10 years ago, it was like a hundred grand at least under market. Um, and, uh, we still, we still own that one today. Uh, I don't know. It's gotta be worth one of this detached semi, a semi detached and barrier. It's gotta be worth like 700 grand, maybe 650. Uh, and we've just basically been letting it ride for like, we've had the same tenant there for like five years, but our mortgage is like, I don't, our mortgage is so low that we don't even need to optimize the rents necessarily. But, um, I love that. And we've bought a lot of duplexes and single fam, a few single families. In hindsight, I, I probably would have bought more of those. They're very easy to run and manage because there's so few tenant relationship things that come up and you get really good quality tenants in general because, you know, it's a higher, just, it's a more, it's a nicer place to live than a big building. Um, but we've transitioned to a lot of bigger buildings over the last few years. Uh, we've did, along the way, we did a lot of triplexes and fourplexes, everything under residential um, financing. Uh, cause we were always bringing these partners that were, that would qualify nicely as a, uh, on a mortgage, residential mortgage. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the partners we partnered up with were average families, right? That just, they just, most of them happened to own their single family, like personal residential home for five years or more. And because of that, just had money because not necessarily they were making half a million or a million dollars a year or anything in their job. They just usually making a hundred or 200 as a, as a, as a household or somewhere in that range. So pretty well off, but then their house was making them a hundred, 200 a year as well. And so they've sat on that for five years and they have a million, not million bucks, especially in the GTA that was happening, right? Really easily. So they were like, why well, people tell me I should do something with this money, but I don't know. And they're like, well, let's take it out at 3% or 4%, uh, cost of that money. And let's invest it in, in here. You don't have to do any work. We'll do it all, all for you. You just got to qualify. And then you, uh, you're going to get 30% or 40% or, or 100x% percent because we usually do the uh, bird model or they in, buy the property. We do all the work and we give them back their money within a year. And they're like, that seems incredible. Let's do that. So we did a lot of those, which were really good. And uh, also... We, we realized that you could scale up faster by buying multi, like multifamily. So we did end up going into some bigger buildings, 15 units and a lot in that 10 to 20 range unit count. And we bought uh, more of those. Like we've been buying a f two or so of those every year for the last maybe three years. And um, mostly good. We've had challenges with that because a lot, because I mentioned like the tenant situations are a lot different. Um, you could argue both ways and I, I have a hard time debating if I like those more or, the, or I like to, the duplex in that style because those are really easy and they appreciate, appreciate really well. But it's become really easy to qualify financially for the bigger stuff and a lot more, a lot less challenges because it's all based on your personal net worth and does the building make sense for that institution. And we don't care if the building makes sense at the start necessarily because um, we don't expect it to make sense. We're going to optimize it. So we're going to pay a little more for money maybe at the start, but over the one, two, three years that we optimize it, meaning higher rents or more efficient through like um, 
through different utilities that we can offset or get rid of or whatever. And, um, and better times and more, more rent, obviously. So when we do those, you can go back to the bank and now you can get your really nice financing. Uh, and so we've been doing a lot of that. That's, that's a really, it's a little more, you can buy them in chunks rather than trying to find like, you know, buying 12 duplexes versus just one 24 unit. It's a lot easier to just find one 24. As, as hard, as much as it is a little hard to find the 24 unit, it's still easier because you can just buy it in one foul swoop. And then the costs of managing it long-term are a little, they should be better, although it kind of does depend. The tenant stuff comes into play at times, can kind of, especially in Ontario, can kind of wipe out the efficiencies that are with that. Because the landlord tenant board is not necessarily landlord friendly in Ontario. Yeah. 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 I, uh, people always complain about that, and I do too at times. I also just say, like, well, you want to go get no appreciation. You can go on, like, you know, New Brunswick's, maybe appreciation's been good there lately, but long term, historically, like, you might double your property in. 30 years there, yeah. or you can double it in five years here. Yeah. So, I mean, th to me, it's kind of still worth dealing with the crap that yeah. we have to deal with. Pros and cons. Yeah. Now you mentioned too, as far as uh, retrofitting and, and making things more efficient, uh, can you touch on some of those things? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, on it's, it really comes into play on the bigger buildings because everything that, uh, when, uh, someone's going to, um, give you a mortgage on that. They're going to look at the numbers and they're going to look at what's the cap rate and how how much can we lend to you, and a lot of that's all of that's in the numbers, right? So any anytime you can take off a hundred bucks a month in like a hydro bill or a, or a gas bill or water or um, management fees or whatever other thing like metric there is is possible on the expense side, um, you're you're making that building worth a lot more money than you than you, when you like originally looked at the numbers. So. It's a huge opportunity in that. You can't do that in residential. So on a four plex or less or five plex or less, you can't do the same thing. It's all about what did the house down the street sell for. And it's at least a lot more about what the house down the street sold for. And so that that's a really nice and easy way. Like it makes it kind of easier. It's less dependent on what the market's doing and more so just on that asset. Uh, it's, it makes it really easy to forecast what it's going to be worth and, and all that. So... And you can look at, you know, the one thing that we've had, to, we've realized over the last few years too, is you have to pay these tenants a lot of money to leave typically. And, um, like, and saying that they're agreeing to the, the, the deal. So it's not like we're kicking them out unfairly. They're agreeing to whatever terms you come up with, but it can be fairly expensive. So if you're paying 10, 15 grand sometimes to have these people removed, but then you go from maybe a thousand dollars rent to 1500 a month's rent, you just add it on six, uh, six grand a year and rental income well from a financing perspective like you just you just increase that billing by uh what do you increase that by at least 300 grand no 30 grand 300 grand 30 grand so it offsets that's just in one and year over year you get more money uh, from that that's just one unit if you did that over all the units in 10 units you're talking you're increasing the values by hundreds of thousands of dollars it's worth it usually to pay the 10 grand or whatever it costs it have someone removed. You make the expense of that back in a couple of years. Yeah. So it's, that's the nice thing about the bigger buildings, um, is the, it's cause of the, all the financing, how it works. So it's a little easier. That's why we've been focusing on that for the most part of late. Um, now we need to raise more money. You need to, well, either you need to have more money or raise more money to do those deals. It's a longer term process too, but it's kind of a little more appealing. Um, yeah. 
So when in the beginning, I'm sure your criteria has drastically changed on what you're looking for today in the bigger buildings, but when you were first starting, what was the criteria you were looking for in the houses? Um, anything where we could add value to. Um, actually, I, I guess this will tie into what we look for to add value to, which maybe I didn't quite answer that question last time, but uh, anything that we could either find where we want to increase rents, so like finding buildings where there's tenant situations that are issues, like a landlord's having trouble with tenants. That's usually a nice one because nobody likes to deal with tenants. Uh, not very many people do at least. When we have our, when we've had our property man management company, it's made it a little easier. We have like some systems there to make that work. So it's a little less like emotional all the time and having to have that emotional conversation with someone who, you know, is, is lived there for 20 years or something, doesn't want to, it's always hard in these gentrifying cities because it's kind of, that's just, that's what gentrification is. It's, that's what happens, which is a hard thing to manage because it's not like fun to go have those conversations with people that are going to have to leave their home or something, but it, it's, it happens regardless because it's just the best evolution of any city just gentrifying. Um, so, but those are the issues that come up that you can go solve and come up with some version of having them, you know, finding them another place to live or. Also, the more properties you have, actually, that if you actually come across some good tenants like that that are paying way under, more opportunities you can have to maybe move them around and get them into something that works. So we found that, found some benefits in that lately. Um, but anything we could add value to where there's opportunities to rent, increase rents um, through tenants turnover or obviously like unit, op, like making them nice and fancy or, you know, a lot of these places, we're, we're doing a lot of this in Hamilton and in... It's a lot, it's different now, but five, six, seven years ago, there was not many units that had like quartz countertops or backsplashes or nice, um, nice, like nice quality laminate or hardwood or whatever type of floor you're putting in there, vinyl. Uh, there was all like very, lots of rental property. So we're just going to put in whatever copy laminate countertop and whatever, you know, used fridge we can find or, and you know, that's, that's okay in some markets, but like in Hamilton, we were getting a lot of the, a lot of the tenants we found were like GTA tenants who had grew, grown up in, you know, mom and dad's half a million or a million dollar home. And they're like, want something pretty decent to live in. And they would pay more for those. Like when, so when we were looking at the market and we were like one out of, one out of, you know, if there's 30 units that were all comparable and we were like the one or two that had those quartz countertops and some nice features, uh, people would pay like a lot more in rent. And so... We used to stand out. We don't really stand out like that anymore because everyone's doing that. So I'd find different ways to stand out. But that was one thing. We also used to do um, like a feature wall, like a really cheap, we still do this, like a fairly cheap cost-effective like feature wall. It makes the unit kind of pop a bit versus just having white you know, walls everywhere and nothing fancy. If we had like one, you know, cool sort of thing that I was thinking of like something that looks good on an Instagram uh photo of some sort you know like what, what, what would they like to be in a photo but they don't want just a plain white wall they want something kind of cool right yeah so i always try to find my wife is way better at that than me kate's way better at finding that but little things like that that are cost effective that you can sell because you put that on a listing and people go oh that looks super cool and they to me it's like they they, they think it's super cool because they see it on like the cool instagram photos and stuff and then they picture themselves doing Zoom calls or whatever in front of that nowadays, right? Those things are like pretty big and not expensive. So we did, we've done a lot of that. I think it's helped a lot in optimizing the, the space. And there's lots of opportunities like that out there. Now with Airbnbs too, which we haven't done a lot of, but even more so Airbnbs, that's an important thing. Well, for sure. 
Um, now I, I know I, we were touching on it earlier, uh, that, uh, I learned a lot from your podcast about, uh, different asset classes and different ways of investing and not just specifically real estate. Uh, can you touch on some of the things that you've done outside of real estate that have, uh, been in the investing space? Yeah, we talk, I'm not sure we've had a lot of guests around different, like you said, different, different type of revenue streams. Uh, life insurance is probably my favorite one because it's kind of a lot like real estate in a lot of ways. Um, you can, there's a lot of strategies out there with it, but like whole life insurance and leveraging that, you can use that to invest in and offset a lot of taxes, but then also you can like take it out at pretty reasonable rates, almost like a home equity line of credit, then use that to invest. You could like there's people that run their whole life through that sort of policy where they'll buy a whole life insurance policy and take out a loan against it and use that to fund their life. And there's a lot of different accounting reasons to do that, um, especially if you have a corporation that you own and you can when you buy a whole life insurance policy through a corporation, you pay a lot less taxes because you're going to get a full tax write off and then you're still going to pay tax, but it's a lot less and you get the benefit of a life insurance policy. Too much for I'm not the total expert on that, so that's about as probably as deep as the dive as dive as I can go. Um, but that's a pretty cool way. And then I haven't done it a ton on it. I have so many people in life that do a ton of um, the uh, whatever I'll call it um, stock. Uh, uh, what's the word? Stock hacking? No, what am I the word? Option trading. I was it slipped my mind there. Options trading is a really big one. I think over the last few years that people have gotten at least a lot of in our, our circles. The real estate investor community has got really deep on. Um, I've dabbled in it. I know a lot of my friends have spent tons of money in it. I just haven't gone that deep because I haven't, honestly, I haven't been that. It's probably one of those things, kind of like the different businesses that I've opened and not really done well with is, um, I just wasn't all that passionate about it. Maybe I'll find more time to be passionate about it and, and go deeper again. But it's a great, it's a great, um, income, uh, stream to set up. You just have to spend a bit of time on it. I think it's a great tool. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I'm of the mindset of I just want to do uh, ones that I know are going to be there. It's a guaranteed it's going to go up. Like, so the insurance is the big one, the whole life insurance, and then obviously properties are always going up in value, right? So the real asset, it's a hard asset property, right? That's why I don't love stocks. It's not a hard asset. Like, you never same with I don't invest at all actually in any Bitcoin or anything. Not that it's bad, but I think it's uh. It's a lot more risky than a property. Like a property is a hard asset that everyone needs for sure. Maybe people, maybe there's a day where everyone needs some sort of uh, cryptocurrency. Maybe it's not today. So it's a, definitely a higher risk. You could easily go to zero and then it's zero, right? So I think you could argue. I know there's a million arguments of why it's going to not do that, but it it's a property is not going to go to zero unless it even if it completely burns down. So I have a lot of insurance on it, so it's not going to zero until we go live on the moon or somewhere else. This properties are is needed. Like, can't argue that. So there's a lot of a lot of a lot of interesting stock things out there. I just don't spend a whole ton of time on it. Um, but I, I do think that it's important for people to diversify a little bit. It'd be nice to get into some really really reputable easy stocks that can make some money over time. And you're like like a lot of the um, uh, index ones and stuff like that can make a lot of sense because it's really easy. You don't have they're kind of dummy proof. Yeah, and you just let it grow over time. I don't like spending, I don't like sitting and looking at stocks and stuff all day long and seeing what's up. I just, it's, it's all like gambling to me. Yeah. Really go with the sure bets. Oh, for sure. Um, so I'm just going to bring it back to the real estate side of things for a minute and investing. Um, what markets do you typically invest in? Great question. 
because I'm expanding that a lot lately, uh, which I don't think people should do um, in most cases. Um, but I've started out, we were looking at, we were, and for most people, I think you should just look within where you live and invest close to home. It's, it's the easiest to take action in. That's really the main reason because ultimately it doesn't much matter. I mean, if you're in Southern Ontario or, or Canada in general, like there's every market can, you can find something good in every market. Uh, it's easiest to take action in somewhere where you know. So you're, there's less like, it's going to feel less risky because you can drive down the street or walk down the street and go see the property you're investing in. Or you, and you might know the people that are living around there, or you might know the businesses to help you when you need help with whatever service. So to me, that's the biggest thing is you need to take action to buy real estate because it's time in the market, not timing the market that is how you make money and how you make wealth at least. And so anything that allows you to take action faster. So but when we did it, we moved we moved to Hamilton and we started investing a lot in Hamilton because it was just easy to drive around it every day. Um, it wasn't where we started. We started in like Oshawa and in that area. Um, Hamilton made a lot of sense. So we kind of got sold on it and we moved there and sort of let's focus here and we've bought most of our properties there. Now I'm starting to do a little more of the bigger buildings than that. It's a little harder to just invest in Hamilton because there's less opportunities there. And so we've kind of expand that out a bit. And the nice thing about those is there's less, um, because it's so like numbers driven, it's, it's less about the neighborhood necessarily and what's going on. Like it still matters a bit, but you don't really need to know everything about the cities because if the numbers work, they work and you can, you can navigate that pretty much no matter where that is. Whereas, you know, if it's a numbers look good, but it's in a terrible area and it's a residential like duplex, let's say. Um, you just need to be a lot more careful about, you know, you know, your tents are going to always suck there. If it's in a terrible location, you're going to have other issues on the street. It's going to be harder to rent, take longer to rent. That's that, that, that matters on the multi-res too, but just not as, not as big of a deal. So we've started to look elsewhere because of that a bit. And, um, just because we need to have more opportunities, um, that's all residential stuff. And I haven't done much, uh, on the commercial side, but here and there we have a couple of commercial units too, which, which would be a totally different reason for looking at different markets. Um, but residentially, uh, stay close to home is what I would recommend most people. Unless there's literally like you're in some middle of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Awesome. Um, well, we have, uh, 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 final four questions that we typically ask everybody that comes on. And, uh, so we'd like to ask those to you as well. Um, what, uh, impact has, uh, real estate investing or investing in general had on your life? Rich Dad Poor Dad book totally changed my entire life, which has also made me get into real estate investing. And then like all the different mindset is the really comes out of the mindset of it all, which is really impacting my life across so many ways, uh, which wouldn't have happened, might not have happened if I didn't read that book or a lot of the other books, stuff I've learned al along the way. I would say real estate investing, yeah, there's a financial thing to it. So the wealth and everything that you can build in, in there has impacted a lot because you can do a lot of cool things with that. Aside from just having money you can and buying crap with it, you can actually do good in the world. Um, so that's really cool because it, it, you can either do that through like giving money or you can free up time to do it because you can leverage things. Uh, and so I would say it's impacted me a lot in that sense and, and a more like freedom uh, version of my life so I can make decisions to do stuff or not. Um, but I, and then the, the biggest thing though, I would say is it's really excited me to learn more and keep learning about, because once you learn one thing and you see the impact of it and you go, holy crap, I should 
just learn more stuff. And as you keep being that lifelong learner kind of mindset, you end up just, you learn so many things that if you, you get, you can see the impact you can have with that knowledge and that really excites you to go use it. And then you can just rinse and repeat that. That's probably the number one thing that I've seen happen through just investing more is it's realized I should invest in myself and then take that knowledge and do it, do something with it. Um, so it's pretty big a batch. Uh, that is a huge impact. And I love that you went there with the mindset around it and personal growth. So not just about growth inside, uh, you know, your, well, your wealth, but it's been, uh, you know, wealth as a person as well. Well, the number, I hope it's not stealing any of your questions, but the number, when people ask you what you, what we should invest in or where we should invest in all that, before you even get to that, you should invest in yourself. Like, guaranteed, that's, that's the easy answer all day long. For someone who's like, you know, figuring out, if they had a hundred grand or 200 grand or something that they came across and they were like, well, what should I invest it in? I would say yourself, a hundred percent, all of it. Like, put all of that into yourself, into somehow getting better personally. Maybe that's going to events or conferences or hiring coaches or something like that. Now, the... The return on that that you're going to get over the time is going to be so much bigger than just, well, let's go buy a property and get a 15% return. Like that's, that's easy. You can do that anytime in life, but you're going to get like a, I don't even know, some hundred X plus return on doing it to yourself, investing in yourself. It's amazing. I love that. So that's really good. Um, so I guess what is next for you in your investment journey and what are your goals for the future? Uh, I am, we're launching, I'm working on launching a real estate fund, asset management fund, which is definitely way bigger in terms of size of investments, um, which is one thing I have a few partners on that's going to be exciting that's coming out in a few months, actually, officially, like we're already going through, it's a lot of work to do all the legals and everything around that, um, but it's exciting because we're going to do some bigger projects. Uh, one of the cool things about it is it's got a, a whole piece that's in around in and around affordable housing and um uh, there's just, there's like basically none of that in Canada right now. It's a pretty big problem, like a socioeconomic problem versus just like a, like a real estate problem. It's just got a lot of things tied to it. So I, one thing I'm really excited about, cause yeah, cool opportunity for people to invest in and make great money, but also the impact of it's going to be far beyond just the financial. So it's something cool to work on to launch in the next couple months. That's my biggest thing that I'm excited about, uh, from a real estate investing perspective. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, if you were to recommend one uh, investment resource, whether it be a book, a podcast, um, a course, what would you recommend? Aside from Breakthrough Real Estate Investing podcast um, or your show, there's a ton of shows out there now, right? A ton of podcasts or a ton of avenues to get content. Um, there's so many. I would say, I would, I think, uh, I think my show is pretty good. There's eight years of content. So you can even go back and find like Rob and I, you can go hear about our stuff we're dealing with in 2014, which is going to be way different than what we're talking about today, which is, I know some people that go and binge it, they kind of share that it's kind of cool to see the evolution. Um, there's a ton of other great shows. I would go to, I would go to any podcasting site and just look up some of the top investing shows and just take in a lot of it. That's the easy way to do it. Same with YouTube or, or some version of that. The only thing, but the thing I would say on that is that there's because there's so many shows out there and so much content um you really just need to find like a lot of people will go and listen to that stuff all day long and find all these different opinions and you're going to hear varying opinions that go against each other and you're going to screw yourself up you're going to be like i don't know this guy says this but this person says this they both have like a million people following them like how can they be wrong well 
it's kind of their opinion, right? You're not, not necessarily that just because they say it, it's a hundred percent true. So you kind of have to, at some point, just like decide which person or, or which type of content you're going to believe in and just make that kind of your philosophy for life and just go with it versus like, you know, a lot of people overwhelm themselves because they take on too much. You have to take action eventually. Right. So I think that's just something to be careful these days. There's so much out there. Um, but yeah, I love Rich Dad Poor Dad as a great book. Yeah, I, I always start with that book. I, there's so many good books. Uh, Tony Robbins' um, Money or Money Master of the Game is a really good one. A really good one just around like how to set up, how to, how to achieve financial freedom and the different types of financial freedom that are out there. Those would be two really good ones um, that have really impacted me for sure. I know that I did, Rich Dad Poor Dad is a great audio book. So for those that like to ear read rather than read read, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so everybody's journey starts in like different places, and we're all starting at different times in the market. And if you were to be starting your journey all over again today in today's current market with the high interest rates and everything that's buzzing around us, how would you go about starting your journey today? It's the same way I would have started ever. I would always start it is find a mentor. or You can find a coach as well, but I would say find a mentor and go add as much value to them as you can for free and just see what comes from that because that's the best way to get someone to want to help you is to go provide value for them for free. And then they're going to say, what the heck is this person? This person's like, I don't know. I, the reciprocity is going to be so high that they're going to be like, I got to help this person. And they're otherwise, if, if, you know, a lot of people like coming into school and stuff, they're always like, well, what's going to pay me the most? I want to make the most money. I want to make the highest income. Well, when you're like, especially that early twenties or something, yeah, it's nice to have money, but you don't need hope. Like you don't necessarily depends on your situation, but you might not need money as badly as you think. You definitely need knowledge and skills. So best way to do that is to go find a mentor, work with them, have them want to and be incentivized to help you, which means that you need to give them a good value on what you're helping them with, which is if it's free, it's hard to not be a good value. And then just that's going to lead to so many things because you're going to help someone who's probably got some influence and, you know, see where that leads to over time. You'll either develop into someone who demands a really good income or, or, you know, we'll have people reaching out to you because you're like, that person is paired up with that person who's got influence and it's going to rub off and you're going to end up with opportunities all over the place. That's what I would do. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and chatting with us and pouring into us and sharing your story. Yeah, that was cool. And if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, how, how can they go about getting a hold of you? Social media is easy. You can direct message me or something on there or um, sandy at freedomreps.com would be the best email. And uh, one way or another, if you reach out, we'll get in touch with you in the next, usually within 24, 48 hours. So um, happy to help with anyone who's interested in real estate or anything. What sort of advice I can give around that is always an easy one. Um, we're always looking for different opportunities uh, of, you know, we're always looking for others to get into opportunities with and uh, collaborate with. So I'm always happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy. For sure. That was fun. We hope that you enjoyed the show today and that we brought you some value. We'd love it if you give some feedback, let us know what you think about the show and what you'd like to hear. And while you're at it, give us a follow so you don't miss out on any further episodes.